0: Look at your neighbor. Give him a great big grin, and tell him, "Man, you look good today." In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has been doing some teaching on salvation, and the Scripture says that his disciples were astonished at his teaching, and they said, "Well, who then can be saved?" And Jesus said, "You know what? With man, this is impossible." with God, all things are possible. It's amazing to me the difference that the presence of God can make in any situation. And things that seemed impossible, doors that seemed closed, things that seemed like just wouldn't happen. Whenever God shows up, whenever God moves in, it all changes. And that's what we're going to have here today, the presence of God. And be in the presence of the one that opens every door. I'm excited about what he's got in store today. Let's worship together.
1: The Lord. Where the presence of God is, there is liberty. I believe some of you don't really realize that this morning. Can we give God some worship? If you believe that, lift your voices and your hands to God and let Him understand, let Him know that you appreciate the liberty and the joy and the power that He's given you this morning. Too often. We rush from one aspect of the service to another, but my God is here, and he deserves the praises of his people. Praise God. We love and appreciate God this morning. We feel his presence here, and we're so thankful that you're here as well. If you're joining us on live stream, thank you. We've had so many testimonies of, of miraculous and amazing things happening to those who watch. I believe that can happen again. My God is not confined to these four walls. My God can affect change no matter where someone is that hears his word and worships him. Praise God. I'm feeling some preach coming on, so I need to stop. Praise the Lord. We're going to ask our ushers to come forward this morning. They're going to give in prayer. You may be seated if you'd like. give to the Lord because he has been so generous in giving to us. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We appreciate you. We're thankful for your presence that we feel here this morning. We ask you to bless this offering, Lord. Bless the gift and the giver in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone say amen. There are just a few things that I need to speak to you about this morning. There will be annual business meeting tonight at 6 p.m. in the A Center. Please, if you're able to make this, please come and attend. On Tuesday, March 3rd, we'll have our first Tuesday evening prayer in the sanctuary. It is normally very well attended, and we often have a wonderful meeting with God and feel God's presence on those evenings. Sunday, March 8th, the Bridge will meet in the A Center at 6 p.m. A sign-up sheet is at uh, Grand Central. On Sunday, March 14th, kids cooking class in the A Center at 9 a.m. You can register via our events tab and our website. On Sunday, March 15th, we'll have our Baby Dedication Sunday. I love Baby Dedication Sunday please contact the church office if you would like to have your child dedicated. Do you love the Lord this morning? I know these people are incredibly capable in singing and music, but nothing replaces your voice in worship to God. Can you stand this morning and let Him know that you love Him, that you appreciate Him? Can you worship God this morning?
2: God, I serve
3: surprise to me that the Holy Ghost is here today. It's no surprise. I came expecting Jesus to be here today, and His presence has been manifest all over the house today. Aren't you happy to have Jesus in the house today? Aren't you glad He's here? Let's praise Him one more time. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord, thank the Lord. I'm always thankful with our wonderful, wonderful spirit of worship, your response to the moving of the Holy Ghost. These altars are always open, they're always open. And uh, we're thankful for people who are hungry, that need a touch from God, that need to feel the presence of the Lord. There's people here today that need to feel the arms of God around them. And we want everyone to feel that here today. The presence of the Lord is in the house. Thank the Lord. I do remind, want to remind you of our business meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, that will be in the A Center. And uh, please come and all of you ladies, uh, remember Bridge. That's next Sunday evening uh, again in the A Center. You'll not want to miss that. Uh, remember these things. Thank the Lord. Great to see everyone here today. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, to see uh, so many friends and guests here today we're so thankful that you're here we welcome those of you watching on live stream, Facebook live today you're a welcome part of Grace Church and we're glad to have you today as well Uh, I do want to say it's great to see Jeremy and Brooke here today and uh, God bless you guys, great to see y'all here today thank you all I think that's Tracy Robinson. Is that her? Tracy? You back there? Man, great to see you. Good to see you today. Thank the Lord. And, uh, Tracy and his family, uh, his wife Adana and their two girls, were such a strong, strong family when our church was in Baker. They have moved up north for some lame reason. I know the, the food is nearly as good up there as it is down here, right? So, But uh, Tracy's such a great friend of Grace Church and uh him and his wife both served in great capacity we love and appreciate them and tracy it's great to see you here today absolutely let me turn to the word of the lord today i will give all of you a heads up that um, sometimes the spirit of the lord moves and, and and directs i believe he directs my heart and mind in a certain direction and um I don't always promise to preach what people want to hear. I want to preach to you today what God wants me to say. And that's why I'm here. But I know the house is full today of a lot of wonderful, wonderful people that I believe this message will be applicable to. And I only hope and pray when the end of it comes that perhaps you'll want to make some changes in your own life. Please hear the word of the Lord today. There's people here today fighting battles you're not going to win unless you make Jesus the priority of your life. You're not going to win. Life's not going to be what you think. 2 Samuel chapter 18 And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him and all Israel fled every one to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar which is in the king's dale for he said I have no son to keep my name in remembrance and he called the pillar after his own name and it is called unto this day Absalom's place. The contrast between verses 17 and 18 is touching. Absalom who is the son of King David in the Old Testament. His three sons in this scripture setting are all dead. He's desirous that his name should not die as well. He erected a monument to to perpetuate it, probably connecting it with a tomb in which he proposed that his body should lie and in which possibly he may have placed the remains of his deceased children But instead, he was buried in another place and had another monument reared to his memory. The Bible said a pit in the forest of Ephraim became his grave and a very great heap of stones his memorial. I want to preach to you for a little while today just simply Absalom's place, Absalom's place. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. At the battlefield in Saratoga, New York, there is a 155 foot tall monument that commemorates the fight where the British made their last stand on American soil. It sits in the foothills of the Adirondack, the Adirondack Mountains, and it gives a silent testimony to those men who bravely refused to bow down to the British around the base there are four deep niches in this tower and in each niche there appears a name of one american one of the american generals who commanded there above the names stands giant bronze figures on horseback as famous today as they were when they were shouting commands and encouragement to their men In the first niche in this tower, the name Horatio Gates appears, in the second is Philip John Schuler, and in the third is Daniel Morgan. But the niche on the fourth side is strangely vacant. The name appears, but the soldier is absent. In fact, it's conspicuously absent. And when you read the name, the mind rushes back to the yesterdays of history to the foggy banks of the Hudson River where a man sold his soul and forfeited his right to be remembered. How the mighty are fallen, the wise man said in Scripture. The brigadier general who once commanded West Point, the major general who distinguished himself at battles along Lake Champlain and Mohawk Valley in Quebec and Saratoga committed treason. And died a synonym of disgrace. His name was Benedict Arnold. The final place of Benedict Arnold is in a lonely room in London. He dies an old man, but his age is not an honor to him as he dies without friends, without family, without a home, and without God. He was a hero, a patriot, but he was also a traitor. Clarence McCartney said, The empty niche in that monument shall ever stand for fallen manhood, power prostituted, for genius soiled, for faithlessness to a sacred trust. Absalom was the third and favorite son of David. The picture of Absalom that is presented in 2 Samuel 13 through 19 suggests that he was attractive, but he was lawless and insolent, and his fate was tragic. He is first mentioned as murdering his half-brother Amnon, David's eldest son, in revenge for the rape of his full sister Tamar. And for this he was driven into banishment. But he was eventually restored to favor through the good offices of his cousin Joab, Later, when some uncertainty seems to have arisen as to the succession to David's throne, Absalom organized a revolt. For a time, he seemed completely successful. David, with a few followers and his personal guard, fled across the Jordan River, leaving to Absalom, Jerusalem, and the main portion of the kingdom. The usurper, Absalom, pursued the fugitives with his forces, but was... Completely defeated, the Bible said, in the forest of Ephraim and killed by Joab who found him caught by the hair in an oak tree, the Bible said. To the affectionate, chivalrous heart of David, the loss of his son, worthless and treacherous as he was, brought grief that more than outweighed his own safety. And uh, restoration. The text we read gives us a picture of another man, another traitor who died in a place that he should have never been. In the previous verses of 2 Samuel 18, there is an accounting, accounting given of Absalom's death. Joab jams three darts into his young body and kills him. Absalom is then cut down from the limb of an oak tree that had entangled his hair and unceremoniously tossed into a pit and covered with rocks. A place to bury a rebel prince was chosen as a sorry substitute for where he should have been buried. He was buried under a rock pile instead of the stately monument for the royal family. In fact, Absalom had built a great monument for himself in the Valley of the Kings, but he never made it. So what a trade-off. His, Absalom, was a gashed and broken body lying at the bottom of a pile of rocks, only a forsaken father to mourn over him. His winsome ways all come to nothing. His ability to listen to people wasted in tragedy. His whole life entirely unfulfilled and never living up to his calling. We find that the world and the church are full of Absalom's who never live up to their calling or their ambition. They build huge monuments with their words, but their deeds are never called to a nobility of action. Their final end will be one filled with regret and horror. Life is filled with people like Absalom and we need to make sure that we do not fall into that category. They end up making it to stone piles of regret and infamy. And people all wonder how in the world could it all have happened. How could Benedict Arnold become a traitor? How could Absalom turn his back on his nation and his father? One man said it this way, that men never fall far. That means that the failures we see in them was something that had begun to erode their souls months before the calamity took place. For it was some years that they managed to hide behind a facade until the sudden collapse came. Look at the landscape of life and even of this church. How many Absaloms have been missed over the years? How many are about to make their exit now? How many have built a monument that will be filled with the barrenness of failure? We miss them when they left and we will miss them when they leave. But we can't go with them no matter what wooing words or logical reasons that they may give. I have decided that above all else and no matter what anybody else does, I must be saved. I still take the position of Joshua when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Clap your hands to the Lord right now. Because the Bible is just as applicable now as it was when it was at first written, we can find answers to the deepest questions of life and faith in it. There are some reasons that Absalom failed, and it would do us well to look at his life and then examine our own. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 10: wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul wrote to the Romans and said, Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, talking about the Jewish people, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, he said. For if God spared not the natural branches, talking about Israel, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Thomas Watson wrote on self-deception. He said a sinner is well conceited of himself while he dresses himself by the flattering mirror of presumption. But if he knew how loathsome and disfigured he was in God's eye, he would abhor himself in the dust. From the outset there is a lack of purpose that surrounds Absalom's life. We find, we never find in Scripture, you never find in Scripture pertaining to Absalom where he was motivated toward doing something purposeful with his time, with his days, and with his motives. That is a great danger of having too much in life. More men have been destroyed by prosperity than those that are destroyed by adversity and lack. Prosperity puts an ease of comfort on us. That gives us rise to laziness. Far too often those with the Absalom-like mentality sit around waiting on some wind of purpose to stir them into action and drag them from their laziness of physical and spiritual inactivity. But it'll never happen. You have to give yourself to the disciplines of work and commitment when a man has some goal or purpose in his life that he is pursuing. It has a great blessing in his life even if he is laboring under great limitation. If purpose can never be embraced, if purpose could ever be embraced, it'll stimulate the mind. It pulls hidden talents out of us. It forces discipline to focus on the task. It helps us to determine the priorities of this life. If purpose can ever be embraced, it keeps us from falling to temptation. It gives us a defense against the vicious habits that would rob us. It helps us to endure hardness. It will cheer us up in moments of depression. It will make you capable of self-sacrifice and even self-denial. Because Absalom had no purpose in his life, he paid dearly in the end. There must be a purpose to our physical and spiritual lives to find some noble goal to pursue with life. Certainly, the Lord is coming back, but we. We must live our lives like he's coming today, but also to plan like he's returning a hundred years from now. More importantly, some spiritual purpose to give yourself to. It is usually after the fact that someone has backslidden, that certain trends can be noticed in their lives. They lost the purpose of their own personal commitment. They lost their purpose in having a prayer life. They lost their purpose in coming to church. They lost the encouragement that comes From the body of Christ. They began to think that worship was a matter of convenience over the cost of commitment. They lost the grace of God and the constraints of the love of Christ. There was a magnetism toward the world, and they became progressively more worldly. They began to forsake long held personal convictions that God had put into them. They began to resent any preaching that called them to a higher life of godly living. They rejected the warnings that came from the Bible concerning how they were to live their spiritual lives. The battle within became greater than the battle without. And they walk away. They walk away just a shell of what they had been in the past. And their monuments are now empty as Absalom. They died somewhere. They should have never been. Folks, would y'all help me this morning? Everybody talk to the Lord right now. Oh, God, we need your presence in this building. Oh, God, we need your presence in this building. Oh, God, we need your presence at this building right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So, so if a lack of purpose settled in on his life and there was no ambition to press Absalom, now he gives in to something just as deadly, and it's called selfishness. His whole life was devoted to the serving of self he had a desire to be famous in life and remembered in death. Instead, he was like the carcass of a dead dog under, the, under a pile of rocks. While there must be a pressing ambition in life, it all comes to nothing when it's all focused on self. Absalom got to the point what, that he treated everybody around him as a means to his own end. David, his own father, was a ticket to the throne Ahithophel, who was a counselor of King David and a man greatly renowned for his wisdom, Absalom considered even him a ticket to the throne. And ultimately, the people of Israel were his ticket to the throne that his father was currently occupying. History is full of foolish men who were consumed by selfishness. Theodore Roosevelt said, And I want all of you that keep up with the news to consider what I'm about to say. Theodore Roosevelt said, the things that will destroy America are peace at any price, prosperity at any cost, safety first instead of duty first, the love of soft living and the get-rich-quick theory of life. It has consumed us here in America. When you get to 2 Samuel 15 and 16, we find a series of actions driven by utter selfishness when it comes to a study of Absalom. Absalom had hired mercenary soldiers to run in front of his chariot. He stood in the gates of Jerusalem and stole the hearts of the people. And when he got to Hebron on the pretense of fulfilling a vow to David, he instead announced his new kingship of Israel. He pulled Ahithophel into his deadly web that would lead to Ahithophel's suicide. Absalom forcing David from the city of Jerusalem and having to flee to the wilderness. Absalom consuming his own lust on some of David's concubines. It all caught up with him in the end because he was only thinking of his career and his success in the nation. His selfish talking is what put him into a difficult place. He talked to the mercenary soldiers and convinced them that he was right. He talked in the gates of Jerusalem and convinced those people that he was right. He even talked to David about the vow in Hebron and convinced his own father that he was right. He talked to Ahithophel and convinced him he was right. And all of them were deceived by Absalom's word. He deceived every one of them. The Absalom mentality can get so bent on his own success that he can talk himself and everyone around him into believing a lie. There are some people in our generation today who are literally taking, talking themselves into a place of deception while they perceive it to be a revelation. Far too many blow every opportunity that life presents to them because of selfishness. It was said one time that there's an old method for catching raccoons is to place a piece of foil inside a small barred box that is staked to the ground. And when the raccoon comes by, he reaches his paw into the box to get the foil. But once he grasps the foil, his paw changes shape and it will not fit back through the bars of the box Many times a raccoon would rather give up his freedom and perhaps his life just for the sake of a shiny but useless piece of tinfoil. You'll meet people in the world and in the church who waste what God has called them to do all because of the skinny trinkets of life that confuse them. And the values of the world replace the values that God has in your life. You're building a monument that will never live up to its calling. The lack of purpose and the lack of selfishness corrupted Absalom. One more thing finally sank him, and that's irreverence. There should be three elements of reverence in our lives. I want to be very careful, and I want everyone to understand what I'm saying here today. Three elements of reverence. Number one, for what is above us, and that is God. For what is equal to us, that is our peers and family. I want to be very careful here. I do not mean this from a point of ego. It's only for illustration. But for what is beneath us, the poor, the weak, and those less fortunate than we are. We have to be reverent of all three. Every action about Absalom caused him to pursue his ambition at the expense of God's will for his life. There was nothing sacred to Absalom except his own comfort and position in life. He refused to let his appetites be fenced in. He had no reverence for God or for others. He did not take care about their feelings, their rights, or their sufferings. There are some folks here this morning, I'm going to stop right here, that need to understand. I had this sermon prepared days ago. This sermon was prepared days ago. There are some people that need to hear this, need to hear me make that statement. Our media team can verify what I'm saying. But Absalom had no reverence for God or for others, did not care about their feelings, their rights, or their sufferings. You might ask the question, how do I know if I'm becoming irreverent for God and even for the things of God? Perhaps one of the greatest expressions of a lack of reverence is how that one looks at the grace of God. It views grace so cheaply that it can be abused and tossed around without the slightest bit of guilt. And we are guilty, we're all guilty before God according to Romans 2. But cheap grace, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. Cheap grace is communion without the confession of God's glory and power. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Cheap grace is grace minus a cross. Cheap grace is grace without living Jesus Christ. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, we have gathered like eagles round the carcass of cheap grace, and there we have drunk the poison which has killed the life of following Christ. In the end, Absalom, instead of being the king of Israel, he was hanging from an oak tree by the hair of his head, and he died a lonely man. Clarence McCartney said, The loneliest man is not the man who sits in a home out of which has been taken by the death of the companion of many years. It's not the man who is a stranger away from friends and companions and familiar scenes and sights. No, he said, the loneliest person is that person who has been living to himself and therefore has only himself for company. He is like a coffin, room for himself and no one else. Just a little bit of reverence for God could have potentially been the thing that saved Absalom in the end. Just a small bit of conscience being prompted by God. Just a small bit of a spiritual ear hearing what the Spirit said. Just a small bit of attendance to the house of God. Just a small bit of participation at the altar in the temple. All of these things would have been enough for him. But it was not to be. Anytime a man tries to get along without God, he will always become the loser. Amen. Folks, you have to understand, there's people sitting here and say, I wonder who he's preaching to today. I want everyone to understand that I'm asking all of us to look in the mirror today and say he's preaching to me. I'm not excluding anyone here today. We can all be better. I'm not here to cast some kind of judgment. I'm not here to say everybody in the building is a bunch of heathens and sinners. But if you can be better, if there's a few lifestyle changes you could tweak and just be better, then perhaps I'm preaching to you. I'm going to plead with everybody in the house today not to... Turn off the switch to the pastor right now. I preached a couple of Sundays ago, several Sundays ago, has conviction died. And then after that I preached a message and it's still with me. It's still with me today. About Jesus making the statement that a prophet is without honor, saving his, has honor saving his own country. Remarks I made in that sermon are still with me today that what happened to Nazareth and their relationship with Jesus is they de-godded him. And I'm very concerned here today that there's folks sitting under the sound of my voice that have even de-godded church. Because when you come, you don't take what God is offering. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This message started with a very beautiful but very empty tomb of Absalom, who was the son of David. But there's another tomb in the garden of Joseph of Arimathea. It's also empty. It's the tomb of Jesus. The first tomb speaks to us about wrecked ambition, blasted hopes and prostituted powers, about a man who found his life and lost it, about a man who loved and exalted himself, about a man who shows the failure, the breakdown and disappointment of one who did not build on God about a man who ended up under a pile of stones lost but the second tomb speaks to us about a man who lost his life but he found it about a man who humbled himself and was exalted about a man who could not be held by death about life that lives forever because it lives unto God. Jesus made the very renowned statement that whosoever seeks to save his life shall lose it. There's people here today, there's actually a lot of people here today that you've chosen a path, you've chosen a journey You've pointed yourselves in a certain direction and periodically God prompts me with a sermon like this and I don't know if you're going to be here or not, but it just so happened today that there's a lot of people here that God knew you was going to be here so he prompted pastor to preach a message. I fought with God over this. I, I I wallowed with this for a long time before I finally said, okay, I'd rather preach about worship and praise and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But God said, no, I want you to tell them that if you continue on the path you're on the end of, it's not going to be good. I want you to tell them that. And I've said over and over to God, they've heard it over and over. People sitting in this building has heard these kind of sermons over and over. And God They don't change, they don't change, they don't change. And I believe God spoke to me and He's even speaking to me now. He said, but tell them anyway because I want them to hear it again and I want them to hear it again and again and again. Because between here and hell, I want them to hear my voice and I want them to understand they're going to go through my cross, my blood, my tomb, my church to get there. They're going to hear it every step of the way. So while you stand with me here today? I'm going to be as kind as I can. But there's backsliders all over the house today. Yes, they are. If you're honest, you know who you are. God is being so very kind. It's not a hard message. It's a message of God saying, I love you and I love you enough to prompt pastor to preach to you today. I've struggled. Throughout this message, I didn't I didn't deviate from my notes because I just wanted to, I wanted to just get through it. I've just plowed through hard, stony ground. But I submit to you today that there's somebody here that God wants to break through to you. God is wanting to break through. I believe there's somebody here this morning. There's some embers that's starting to burn on the inside and said, you know what, God? I've, never, I've not heard preaching like that in a long time. And God, you're stirring me up. It's been a long time since I heard a message quite like this one. And what God wants you to hear, that if God don't have His way in your life, Absalom's place will be your place. That's where it is. It doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter what your intent is, but it all ends up at the same place. So I'm going to ask Grace Church, everybody here today, would you pray with me for a few minutes? I'm asking somebody, church, pray right now. I know this is heavy and what have you. and I need everybody to pray right now. I want everybody to understand. God has opened the door again He's opened His arms again He's asking you to take a step in His direction again He's doing it because He's kind He's doing it because He's loving He's doing it because He cares God's not hard and distant and far away His presence is in this building right now and he's asking somebody to reach out your hand so he can take a hold of accepting His invitation, would you come? If you want to just draw a little bit closer to God, everybody, if you just, if you're feeling the Holy Ghost right now, would you just come this way? And if you want to get on your knees and pray, that's awesome. If you want to stand, that's awesome. Whatever you want to do, the rest of it is between you and God. The rest of this is between you and God. It's what God wants you to do. It's where God wants you to be. Out reach, out reach out your hands to Him. Reach out your hands to the Holy Ghost. Reach out your hands to the Holy Ghost. Reach out to the presence of the Lord. Everybody in the house today, would you reach heaven for Everybody, would you reach heaven for of here today. God's calling you back home.
2: God wants you to be Jesus, back in a great relationship with
3: him when you talk to him.
2: Everybody talk to, Lord Lord, 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 Lord. talk to the Lord right now. Everybody All my trust is in you, Lord. Jesus, Hallelujah. Jesus, Love all, Lord, else. Love I Love all else. You stay the same. Of everything else, you are the one.